And we are pleased to be joined by uh, ESPN play-by-play voice Dan Schulman. And, Dan, uh, to tell you the truth, uh, welcome, number one. And I was a little surprised when I heard you guys were going to be there on Monday. But uh, I'm sure it was nice to kind of be in the environment and actually be in the arena for that game. Yeah, it, it was, and good to be with you, John. Hope you're doing well. And and we've been on site for a few. We've been in studio for most, probably. But um, certain games that ESPN does, the plan is still to do them on site, like the Saturday primetime game, the big Monday games, that sort of thing. So um, we knew that uh, we were headed to, to Waco. And it, it was good to be in the arena. I've, I've been to Lubbock, I've been to Austin, I've been to Lexington, and I've been to Madison. I think I've done five games on site out of the 15 or so that I've done. And even though it was only, whatever it was, 2,350 fans, I think, inside the Farrell Center, just to have a little energy and, you know, feel it when you're calling a game was uh, was really nice. Yeah, it's, it's different, isn't it? I mean, I think people who don't do what we do really don't understand that, but to create your own energy when you're in a studio, uh, you know, that takes extra work. Yeah, it does. And, and I've done baseball in a studio. Um, I've done basketball from home by myself. I've done basketball in a studio by myself. Done basketball in a studio with the other announcer there. So all kinds of different scenarios. But um, yeah, sure, you know, college basketball is a, an enthusiasm, adrenaline kind of sport. So uh, it is a lot easier, again, even if the arena is only a quarter full. And even though we were up at the top, uh, it, it is a lot easier just to feel it when you're in person. What do you make of the theory that this year that uh, the playing field's been leveled a bit because of less than capacity filled arenas. I think there's a little something to it, but it, you know, to be honest with you, at this point, you know, let's take Duke for example. Does Duke get any more of a, a bump from their crowd than Baylor does from theirs? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I mean, uh, the Farrell Center is not thought of a, along the same lines of Cameron Indoor Stadium and, and, and that sort of thing in terms of the the history and the crazies and all that. But I was at the Kansas-Baylor game last year. They were every bit as loud there as games that I do at Duke. So I think there's a little something to it. I, I think another thing that, that exists out there is more than even in a normal year, I think younger teams that haven't had as much time together, uh, I think this would be a struggle for them. Uh, whereas the older teams who have played together before, and Baylor's one of them, you know, you know, they know what to expect from each other. So even if this year's weird, even if games get canceled, even if you only get a scouting report a day in advance, whatever the case may be, I think the older, more connected teams can roll with the punches uh, a little bit better, and Baylor is certainly one of those. Yeah, I completely agree. What would you think of, uh, of what you saw from both Baylor and Kansas on Monday? Well, Baylor's sensational. I mean, they really are. There, there are clearly two teams that are better than all the other teams right now, and that's not to say that one of the two is going to win the, the national championship, but, um, you know, clearly Gonzaga and Baylor are a step ahead of everybody else, in my opinion, anyways. And, and you know, Butler had an unbelievable game coming off the one where he struggled until late in the game against Texas Tech. You know, and Mitchell and Teague and Flagler, I mean, they're, they're all terrific. Vital had a great game, I thought, especially in the first half. He had about a four- or five-minute stretch where he did everything and then he had an unbelievable block um you know you thamba had a great first half chamo chachua had a great second half meyer got his minutes they're really great and i I said on the air like we're going to look up next year and Flagler's going to be scoring 15 a game, and Meyer's going to be scoring 15 a game, and Chamo Chachua will be like a 13-9 and nine guy because that's how it works at Baylor. You know, you, you, you pay your dues. You, maybe you're redshirt. You're a backup. 
you bide your time, and then you step into the role a year or two later, and you become the guy. And and they've got guys who are ready to become the guy, and and um, they're 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 terrific. They've earned everything that they've gotten this year. Kansas, to me, they're really good, but I don't think this is a vintage Bill Self Kansas team in terms of talent. You know, Brown hit a bunch of threes, and that kept him in it for a lot of the game. But they've got. You know, good, like Ochai Baji's a very good player. McCormick can be a very good player. Um, obviously, Marcus Garrett's the National Defensive Player of the Year last year. Like, they've got a lot of really good players, but I, I don't know that they have, you know, high end NBA talent, lottery pick, that sort of thing, which normally a Kansas team uh, obviously does. So I, I think Baylor's the better team this year um, on, on your court, on their court, on a neutral court, with fans or without. I, I think Baylor's the better team. Dan, you've seen Baylor uh, several times, really, the last few years. Um, what do you think about the job Coach Drew has done, not just building this team, but building it where it, it is consistently good? I mean, Baylor is consistently near the top of the Big 12 every year under him. It's it's remarkable. I mean, where from where they've come 18, 19 years ago, you know, we said it on the air uh, well, on Monday night, he was 21 and 53 in his first three years. Now he inherited a program in about as tough a spot as you can ever inherit a program. But 21 and 53 is is tough sledding in the first three years, and they just got better and better. And he stuck to his program, and he's brought in guy. He's created not just a good team. He's created a good program, a good culture. Again, guys who want to play with each other, guys who understand it's a process, guys who aren't in a rush. Um, I, I think it's remarkable, and I think Chris Beard is starting to do that sort of thing at Texas Tech. Um, it, it, it's it's amazing how strong the league is. It's not like Baylor and Texas Tech are, you know, historically great places for college basketball, blue bloods, nothing of the sort. And now you put them along with all the other great programs in the Big 12, and you can see why the league is so good. But what Scott Drew has done uh, is incredible. And now we're starting to see, like next year, and you know you know more about it than I do, a, a great recruiting class coming in. It's not just, oh, this guy wasn't even a top 100, and look what he's turned into, or this guy transferred in from Presbyterian, and look what he's mm-hmm. turning into. It's not just that. Now he's going to start getting some high-end talent out of high school, it looks like, too, because kids have short memories, and they remember how good Baylor was last year and the year before. They don't care about you know 1992 or 2004 or, or anything like that. So it, it is... It's one of the best rebuilding jobs I've ever seen. You know, I think Jim Calhoun at Connecticut usually gets credit for the best ever. And, and he won three national championships. So, you know, that's, that's not to be discounted. But what Scott Drew is, has done in the last few years and looks like he'll continue to do is really amazing. Now Dan, we mentioned all the good things about Baylor, but can you identify a weakness with this team? Well, it's funny because we, we, we put a graphic up Monday night, and, and I, I had some notes, so I went on and on about it. I mean, they're in the top ten. In the, like, some teams are just good offensively or just good defensively. And you guys know where I'm going with this. They're fourth in offensive efficiency and first in defensive efficiency. They're top ten in the country. I'm, by the way, I'm glad we're doing this after I did a game of there, so I remember all this stuff so easily. <laughs> well prepared. <laughs> they're, they're top ten in the country in three-point percentage. They're top ten in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. They're top ten in the country in turning you over. Like, these are all totally different aspects of basketball, and they're great at so many of them. So um, is, is there a weakness? I, I really don't know. I mean, I guess if the guards had an off-shooting night, but you've got so many different options back there. Um, 
you know, one or two of them are always going to be clicking. And, and you know, Thamba and Shamwachacho are interesting to me because they know exactly what their role is, and they do exactly what they're supposed to do. You know, play good defense, protect the rim, set screens, roll hard to the basket. You know, create space for other guys. And um, so, you, you, like, you don't have to run a lot of plays for them. I mean, they love going to the rim with Shamwachacho, and that works very well. But to be honest with you, I, I don't really see a weakness. Now, if they were to play Gonzaga, it would be an awesome game, and I would love to see it, whether it's in the regular season or in Indianapolis. You know, Gonzaga's got so much firepower. Baylor could play great and still lose like an 86-85 game or something like that. But I, I really don't think they have any glaring weaknesses at all. Not only are they one of the top two teams in the country, but they're the most well-rounded team in the country. You mentioned Blue Bloods well ago, and when you look at college basketball as a whole, to me, a lot of the Blue Bloods seem to be down this year. Duke's out of the top 25. Kentucky's struggling. We just talked about Kansas well ago. What do you think? Is is that from the one-and-done situation? Is that catching up to them, or what's contribute, the contributing factor there? Yeah, I think part of it, especially this year, like we were saying a little bit earlier, is I, I think a young team was going to struggle more than an older team with this kind of a season. You didn't have um, exhibition game. You didn't have a scrimmage before the season. You didn't have, to borrow a phrase from my guy Dickie V, you didn't have a few cupcakes at the beginning of the year. You got right into it this year. You know, everything was everything was different. Everything was complicated. Um, sometimes you played games without a couple of key guys. Sometimes, like in Baylor's case, you played games without your coach. You know, you, you have to be able to handle anything this year. And the, the freshmen are just trying to handle college and playing in 20,000-seat arenas on national television against college players when they've been dominant in high school. So, um, you know, Duke's very young. Kentucky's very young. Carolina's very young. And none of those three are ranked right now. And they've all got good talent. But to me, the, the amount of talent they have doesn't offset the amount of youth that they have. And, and uh, you know, I understand – I get the one-and-done thing, and these guys are well within their rights to want to go to the NBA after a year if they're good enough and start earning a living. I'm, I'm not, you know, that doesn't bother me at all, but I am a college basketball guy first and foremost, and I do love to see programs where guys stick around, whether it's Gonzaga, Baylor, Virginia, Villanova. Uh, there are a few kind of model programs in that respect around the country where it's not just a great team from year to year. It's a great program every single year, and those are the ones really that I, that I like the most. Dan Schulman, ESPN, our guest. I was uh, saying earlier in the hour, Dan, uh, kind of telling your, your travel story about how when you go on a road trip, you go on a serious road trip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, so I'm Canadian for those who right, don't know right. down there, and I, I still I've always lived in Canada. So during the pandemic, we have in Canada a 14 day quarantine whenever you come back to Canada. So um, I, I, I'm also the Blue Jays voice. So I called Blue Jay games from a studio in Toronto all year. Then I went to Bristol, Connecticut, where ESPN is, to do the Major League Baseball playoffs on radio. So I spent a month in Connecticut. Then when I came home, I had to quarantine for 14 days. So I, I, was, I think I was in Toronto for a month, uh, two weeks in quarantine, and then two weeks I was free to do whatever I wanted. Uh, and then I came back down to the U.S. and did about three weeks' worth of games, including Baylor's game, I want to say Illinois, right? Baylor's yes. game against Illinois yes. earlier yeah. in the year. Did a bunch of games for about three weeks, and then they sent me home for the holidays for four weeks. <laughs> they installed a kit in my house that a lot of people have, so I called about six or seven games from home while uh, uh, over the holidays. And now I'm back down in the U.S. Uh, my trip started in Waco, actually. I flew from Toronto to Dallas, drove to Waco. And because I can't go back and forth, and do a game. Our Saturday games are always supposed to be on site because I can't go back and forth. When I'm, I believe I am now uh, away from home 
for the duration of the regular season, like through championship week. So I am very lucky. I have a supportive, independent wife yes. um, who understands all this and, and gets that, you know, what are you going to do? It, it is what it is. But So I'm actually home basing in Charlotte. I, I'll do my Saturday game and the odd other game on site, and then I'll call like I did last night. I called Duke-Pittsburgh last night off from our studio. ESPN's got a studio in Charlotte. So Charlotte is my uh, temporary home, at least for the time being. Oh, man, enjoy Charlotte. Hey, sharp left turn, final last question. Uh, George Springer, signed by uh, your team, the Blue Jays. Uh, what a great addition for them. Yeah, it really is. You know, it's funny. This is the third college basketball radio interview I've done today, and all three have ended with a George Springer question. <laughs> is that so right? Very funny, but, okay. Um, yeah, the, the, uh, Blue, the Blue Jays Nation, which goes from coast to coast to coast in Canada, there are millions of them. They are flying high right now. They are incredibly excited. It sounds like Michael Brantley's going to sign, too, although apparently they haven't quite uh, dotted the I's and crossed the T's on that. But And, and uh, you guys are down in Texas, so you know from Houston, you know how close Springer and Brantley are. Sure. I mean, those are two terrific pickups for the Blue Jays. And, and they're a young team on the rise, great nucleus of young players like Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Lourdes Gurriel, Kevin Biggio, Teoscar Hernandez. Like, they're fun. They're going to score a lot of runs. And I'm not saying they're ready to topple the Yankees or anything yet. But uh, the arrow's pointing up. They're, they are getting better. And as a, you know, as a Toronto guy who, who calls games for, for the team in my town, it, it's really exciting. That's very cool. Hey, it was great to have you here on Monday. Uh, oh, this is the final question. What did you think of the perch up there? Uh, high atop the stands yeah. in the Feral Center. So it, it, it's very similar in terms of how far we were from the court that I've had in Austin okay. and Lubbock okay. and Lexington. Yeah. Um, because all four of those arenas had fans in them. The game I did in Wisconsin, no fans. So they've built this perch. It's great. It's like 12 rows up right at center court. Oh, nice. Um, calling a basketball game from, you know, the top of the second deck, even though the Ferrell Center is not you know, as big as Rupp Arena or anything like that, but you're still up at the top of the building, and you're in the corner. We were kind of behind the basket support a little bit, so I called probably the first four minutes from the floor, but there were a couple of times Baylor was attacking the far basket in the first half, and maybe my eyes aren't all that good anymore, but there were a couple of times where I was like, is that Butler or is that Teague? Right. And, you know, and, and so after the first time out, I called it more off the monitor, to yeah. be honest with you. I, I think I went back and forth, and I didn't really you know, keep track or pay attention, but they were kind enough, the folks in, uh, in Waco were kind enough to give me and Billis, we're about 15 feet apart, we have to be yeah, per, right. per ESPN protocol. So they gave each of us a nice TV monitor, and, and uh, so I, I think I called it off the monitor more than uh, calling it from the court, but... Uh, I, again, it's you know, it's like I said before, it's a pandemic, and and we all have to do what we have to do, and I'm just I'm just happy to be calling games. Wow, well, really appreciate your work. It was great to have you here on Monday, and hope our paths cross again very soon. And uh, stay safe in your new adopted uh, hometown, Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> I will do that. Thank you. Take care of yourself as well. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Uh, the great Dan Schulman.